Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald, and if you don't think you've heard everything else there is to hear about the coronavirus, well, we're going to talk about it some more, but I'm going to take a different approach this time. Um, if you listened to my last show on the coronavirus, you know a lot of the details about its incidence and the fact that it is uh, probably a new virus, and what I may not have said before is that it is almost certainly going to spread uh, to the United States as well as other areas of the world to the point which uh, a good number of people will certainly die of it. Uh, a good number will become extremely sick from it. But this, just like the SARS virus before it and others, requires us as individuals to take certain steps to improve our resiliency against the strength of the virus. The reason why, or at least one of the reasons why, one person could be exposed to a virus and not get sick, as opposed to another individual being exposed to a virus and getting very, very ill and even dying, comes down to resiliency. Resiliency is a term that I use to describe the ability of your body to mount a strong immune response against a virus. So... I'm not going to go over the basic hygiene, things like face masks and hand washing and avoiding sick people, etc., because I did that during the last show. What I'm going to do during this show is talk about specific nutritional factors that have been proven in the medical, nutritional, and scientific literature to improve one's resiliency. Little disclaimer, we know nothing about the coronavirus, so I cannot tell you that any of the nutrients or hygiene or lifestyle habits that I'm going to talk about now uh, are specific against the coronavirus. I just can't tell you that. But I do know something about the human body. So we're going to talk about how we can strengthen our resiliency and hopefully that may extend to having greater resistance against the coronavirus itself. I'm going to begin by talking about some basics that you may have heard before, but we want to apply them in a way so that we can help ensure that your immunity is as strong as possible. First thing is, should you take extra vitamins and minerals? Well, I don't know what you're taking, so I don't know if you need extra beyond that. But I can tell you that our nutritional requirements, when we are impacted by a very virulent virus, a very strong virus, generally increases. It increases during the body's attempts to manage that virus to kill it off. And they also increase, or the nutritional needs should uh, be managed, the increased needs, post-viral exposure so that you can recover. What I've seen in my last 30 years or so uh, practicing uh, holistic health is that many people get over their health problems, but they don't look back to see what it costs them health-wise, nutrition-wise, so that when they move forward, they are in great shape. So you're exposed to a virus, it wears down your immune system, it burns up nutrients, and you get over it, and you seem fine, except you're deficient in all of these other things, and you never repair those, you never manage those. So doing certain vitamin tests, nutritional tests, is imperative, and it's imperative most importantly now, not once you get the virus, but now to help offset your chances of getting the virus or any infectious, uh, infectious disease for that matter. So one of the most important tests is a peripheral blood smear where your blood work is looked at under a microscope. Now, some of you have heard of this test. Now, there are some practitioners out there that do a certain type of peripheral blood smear analysis that is unproven, it's unscientific, and I think it's a complete waste. 
where they look under the scope for different organisms, and based on a German theory of what's called pleomorphism, they talk about how these bugs can change themselves from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde virulent bugs. Well, pleomorphism and the changing of whether it's bacteria or viruses actually does happen. But the remedies recommended for these supposed changes are without any scientific merit at all. So I'm going to talk about what we know to be true of microscopic analysis for the purpose of figuring out nutrition. Why do we have to rely on unproven methods when we have proven methods? Also, there are practitioners out there with no prop, they have no proper training uh, to look under a microscope. Uh, and because of that, that inherently makes their interpretations, let's just say, highly suspect. For those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. They call me the blood detective. My purpose in this show is to help turn you into your own personal blood detective so you can ask more critical questions, more correct questions, evaluate better what you're seeing in terms of your health and others so that you can make better healthcare choices. You can reach me if you want to see me uh, as a patient or you have a question or concern about the show at 914-552-1442. You can email me info at blooddetective.com and you can look at the website which is www.intmedny.com. So back to the peripheral blood smear. A small amount of your blood is looked at under the microscope under 400 times magnification. And there are 30 or 40 different aspects of your blood that can be analyzed from just a drop of blood. It's amazing. And what I'm telling you now can be found in any hematology oncology textbook. And when it's in those books, you know it's been studied well. Sadly, many oncologists, hematologists do not read their textbooks. And if they did, they would know about all of these nutritional things that I'm going to tell you now that I, in fact, learn from the hematology oncology textbooks. I also wrote a book on peripheral blood smear or dark field analysis. And I developed a software program that helps interpret it. So I know this area. So if you look under the scope, just imagine this. And you see a large cell. Think of it like a large sun. And if it's too big, that generally means a person does not have enough B6, folic acid, B12, vitamin C, E, or B1 at the very least. Deficiencies of those nutritional factors or insufficiencies, meaning you're not deficient, you just don't have an optimal amount will look like large red blood cells. Large red blood cells do not work very well in the body. They're extremely heavy because they're larger. So they're a strain on the heart. They can't push their way through tiny capillaries so they impair circulation. They don't live as long. They homolysize or die early, which create a lot of sludge and thickness and debris in the body. And I can go on and on what that might cause. But my point here is that that one finding can tell us that months. That's pretty darn good. So the point here is that when you properly analyze and figure out the nutrition you need with the right test for the right person, you increase your resiliency, your health resiliency. Now, under the microscope, you can also see if your red blood cells are packed together like coins, like rows of coins which would steal oxygen from the body, among other things. And when there's a lower oxygen concentration, this is when viruses just proliferate. They just grow, 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 grow. They love oxygen-poor environments, but they hate nutritionally rich environments. So using therapies like hyperbaric pressure of air or oxygen, could potentially be very useful for managing viruses or any other infectious agents 
that depend on a higher oxygen environment. And the ambient air form of hyperbaric, I particularly like because unlike 100% oxygen, which carries with it pretty severe side effects like explosions, because uh, uh, it can explode. Also, uh, oxygen burn. So this is why medicine uses hyperbaric oxygen for something like maybe 12 or 15 conditions of all the thousands of medical conditions that there are, because it is more dangerous than the conditions themselves. But ambient air at 19 to 21% oxygen used between one, two, or three pounds per square inch of pressure is entirely safe, except for the kinds of side effects you might expect from pressure, like ear popping and things of that nature. I mean, uh, an eardrum could pop. Uh, that's theoretically you know, possible. But that's about the worst thing uh, that could happen. The peripheral blood smear also will reveal, when the doctor looks under the microscope, whether or not there are the presence of other types of infectious agents like bacteria and fungi and parasites. The microscope at 400 times magnification cannot see a coronavirus. And uh, there is no, the only, the best test for coronavirus at the, at this time is a PCR test. A uh, PCR test that's not even available uh, to be utilized by traditional doctors right now, although it certainly can be, it's cheap and it's very easy to do. But uh, so far, hopefully, that will be available so that early diagnosis of the coronavirus can happen. And the theory is that earlier interventions will probably improve survivability, although we don't really know with the coronavirus. I do know that our immune systems and our bodies work better and seem to be more resilient when they are nutritionally taken care of. So there's a few other important assessments that are critical for improving resiliency. Remember, resiliency is your body's ability to withstand an insult, whether it's viral, bacteria, parasitic, fungal, or anything else, toxin, electromagnetic, is to eat properly. Now that's a loaded statement, right? Eat properly, what does that even mean? Eating properly used to mean eating the way people ate, let's say in the 1980s. You could just imagine what that was. I'm trying to make a point here. And then it became eating vegan or maybe vegetarian or maybe it was macrobiotic and, or maybe it's plant-based, somehow different than vegan, uh, or maybe it's paleo, which is complete nonsense, uh, or maybe it's low glycemic or it's uh, can, candida-free or it's fruit-free. The problem with all of these things is there are as many diets as there are ridiculous notions based on the emotions of people that are just all over the place. And that's exactly what's going on, to be frank with you. So I always defer to speaking with an individual in detail about their lifestyle, their health history, the medications they may be taking, what nutrients they're taking, do they exercise, do they not exercise, and various other health factors, and then putting together a plan that was specific for them. So if I know that someone has a low immune system because they have a history of you know infections of one too many, you know, they might have a protein problem. So a vegan diet can make them much worse. And they may need animal protein. Some people simply respond better to that. And yes, our paleo ancestors, depending on where they were on the planet, ate plenty of meat. They ate raw meat and yes, they ate cooked meat. But others lived closer to the shores and being in that area, eating more fish, higher omega-3s omega in the diet, not only helped immune systems, but made smarter human beings because the higher the omega-3 intake, the larger the brains, the skulls of hominids living along the coastline were bigger. So there's no paleo because there's paleo depending on where on this huge, wonderful planet uh, our early ancestors ate and what they ate was very, very different. So that's why it's important when I sit down with a patient, is to determine through trial and error what they can tolerate and how their chemistries change so that we can figure out the right diet for them, the right way of eating,
so that they have greater resiliency, greater immunity to withstand exposure to infectious agents. Yes, I can tell you several things that probably everyone should do, you know, not eating refined and processed sugars and and, and uh, refined uh, starchy foods and eating uh, charcoal broiled foods and uh, eating uh, large, two meals that are too large, um, uh, not eating enough fruits, not eating enough vegetables, eating trans fatty acids, too much saturated fats. You know all the basics, folks, right? And if you don't, you can look on my website at intmedny.com and on the homepage in the search bar, search healthy diet basics and you'll see some fundamental things that come up. But whether or not those things apply to you, in part or all, I cannot know. So I would have a person try certain things, eat certain things, take certain supplements, and then I would have baseline testing and comparative testing to know. That's the only way to get this stuff right, to avoid the morass of crazy ideas that are running around on the planet. And if we listen to all this nonsense, we would think that if we had CBD oil, we can beat anything on the planet. Well, that's all hype too. I am not saying that there is a use for CBD oil. There is. There's actually very good studies. But the amounts that we need to have in the bloodstream are, they, they can, you can't even come close to them by consuming this by mouth. They have to be injected generally intraperitoneally and possibly intravenously. Or if you want to increase the effects of various nutrients, whether they're vitamins, minerals, uh, herbs, you know, phytonutrients, so that they can give you the effects that you want. It's important to combine them in the proper way, which is called nutritional synergism. And that is determined based on not just your goal of improving your immunity, increasing your resiliency against the coronavirus, because let's say that's all, that's, let's say that's the goal you had, right? Let's say everyone listening, that's the goal you had. Thousands of you are listening. Your goal is improve your immunity against coronavirus. Here's the top 10 things to do. Yes, but you're different people. So, you know, the tip of the iceberg might be these 10 things, but below the surface, there is a lot more. And that is based on your individual biochemistry. Um, and other factors, not everything you can measure, not everything that you need can you measure through labs. Certain things need to be figured out by thinking in a blood detective way and putting things together in that way. Another term I like to use that directs itself towards like putting it all together the right way and thinking the right way about things so you can get it all balanced is holistic mindedness. If you think that way, see, I think holistically. I also have training for medical school and chiropractic school and nutrition school. So I'm able to bring a lot more to the table than a lot of others when I think holistically. I just have more to draw upon. It's not that I'm necessarily smarter. I, I'm, I may be more educated, uh, but holistic smartness is something that can be learned. In addition to what I've just said, it is so fundamental for you to have your blood pH measured. Now, I'm not talking about your saliva and I'm not talking about your urine pH. I'm talking about your blood pH. The regular listeners know all about the wrong information out there regarding pH. So you might want to listen to my show, PH Lies, which you'll find on my website at intmedny.com under the blog section, or just go to the homepage and search pH lies and that radio show will come up. You will know more about pH than any of the doctors you meet, in particular, the alternative healthcare providers, which do, just some of them just can't seem to get this right. And the reason is, is because they may not be going to formalized training where they're learning biochemistry. So it's just uh, they, they don't evaluate properly. And this wastes a lot of time and money. I see people that have had the wrong test done for years, taking bags of nutrients, wondering why it doesn't work. It's not that these things aren't working, you're just not taking them right because they were based on the wrong tests or the right tests with the wrong interpretation. So you wanna have your pH checked because when you take nutrients, those nutrients go into a, a, a blood uh, pool, you might say, and that pH determines whether or not the right enzymes will be activated to manage and use the nutrients. Now, 
do not think that if you eat an alkaline diet, you're going to turn your blood alkaline. That doesn't happen. Uh, if you don't believe me, just check your blood pH and eat an alkaline diet and know what you will find? Zero change. 100% no change. The way to change your pH of your blood, if it needs changing, is to improve the health of your organs, whatever organs need improving, so that they work better and they secrete their secretions better so the mix of secretions from all of your now healthy organs gives you a pH between 7.35 and 7.45. If you have a pH higher or lower than that, there's a problem. And I would suspect that your susceptibility to getting any infection is much, much higher. And remember what I've said on earlier shows, everyone. We do not absorb everything we eat. We are not what we eat. We are what we absorb from what we eat and thus the consequences of what we do not absorb. So tests of absorption are fundamental. I cannot believe how many people come to see me and they brag about their practitioners. Oh yeah, they helped me up to this point, this point. I'm like, did you have an absorption test? No. That makes no sense. How do you give someone food and nutritional supplement advice if you don't know how they're absorbing or not? And this is fundamental for resiliency against infections because you need the nutrition to build your immune system. And if you're not absorbing it, well, there's a clear problem, right? So it's important to do absorption tests. It's also important to do other related tests known as lactic acid and nitric oxide. I won't go into them right now, but they are very, very important. I'll just say that if your lactic acid is high and your nitric oxide is low, your risk of infections are much higher and quite a number of other diseases actually. So someone is messaging me now and asking me, Dr. Wold, but really, do we really need vitamins? Is there any science behind the use of vitamins? And by vitamins, I'm sure that this person means not just vitamins, but vitamins, minerals, herbs, amino acids, and nutraceuticals. The answer is yes. Um, this person also said, you know, they're not sure that they believe in it. And I said, well, belief is a religious concept. This isn't, this is science. You, you don't believe in this or not. You either go to the National Library of Medicine website and you look up what you want and you find it there or you don't. So there are tens of thousands of studies on the use of nutrients to improve immune resiliency against all manner of infections, even the toughest ones that human beings so far have ever faced. So the science is there. The key is to apply the science to you to make it work. If you just read or hear things and take stuff, you might get better, but most people really don't. They, they think it works because it worked for like 10 days or 15 days or a month, they think, but that's really placebo most of the time. If you're much better after 30 or 35 days and you continue to be better, then that's a real fix. But human beings get excited and they, their minds are very powerful. They can make changes. They're real changes, but they may not be lasting changes. And, and they are not correcting the deficiencies and other problems. Now, let's talk about these other problems. So most of you listening have at least one health problem. But I'm going to guess that you have more than one health problem. That's called disease clusters. And these health problems reduce your resiliency in many cases and make you susceptible to infections. So what do you do for all those things? What nutrients should you take? What do you think the answer is, my fellow blood detectives? <laughs> well, the answer is, I don't know. I need to know you. I need to know your health problems to find out what you actually need. And then I might do some tests and I might send out some labs to see exactly what you need with your health problems, which may be completely different than someone else with even the same health problems, with even the same diagnoses. Once again, for those of you that are just joining us and new to the show, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. We're talking about how to improve your resiliency against infections. And we, of course, are particularly concerned with the coronavirus. My very last show on PRN was uh, covering some of the more fundamental details that you want to hear. So I would encourage you to listen to that last show. 
This show is talking about more practical ways in which to improve your resiliency, not just against viruses, but for overall health and well-being. So we were just addressing the concept of is there science behind the use of the nutrients, uh, and there is. The National Library of Medicine, which is pubmed.com, has over 3 million citations from 1966 to the present. So when practitioners ask me, there's, you know, is there science behind this really? And I'll say, why don't you get on the National Library of Medicine and stop being a fool asking stupid questions? These days, I, I just can't handle it because there's no excuse for ignorance in this day and age. So I have very little tolerance uh, for physicians that um, act all ignorant uh, and have kept themselves ignorant. And if any of you are listening to the show, I would love to have you interview me and me interview you about all of these nutritional things and uh, we'll have a little fun. But folks, I've, I've asked the docs to do this before and they've always refused. And why do they refuse? Well, we already know why. Because they're going to lose an argument with me, that's for sure. Why? Not because I'm trying to be a narcissist, but because the science is there and I know the science. That's it. Okay. So, and you know, I've mentioned before too, that physicians receive something like 27 hours of nutrition training in an average seven-year program. Physicians are not stupid people, but they may be ignorant people. And, you know, ignorance gets worse when one doesn't realize they're being ignorant. All right. I probably should address this next message that's just come to me, which is, and I'll read it to you, it's short. Are some vitamins or nutrients better than others? And, of course, we know on the surface that, of course, some vitamins and minerals are better than others. Uh, How do you know which ones? Well, If you are working with a healthcare provider that has their own line of supplements, generally speaking, they are better than store-bought nutrients. If the healthcare provider has done his or her due diligence in making sure that they use only pharmaceutical-grade nutrients. Some of you say to me, oh, mine's pharmaceutical-grade, it's life extension, or it's this, or it's that. No. If you don't have a full disclosure label that proves that there are pharmaceutical grade, what you think you know that you've learned from the company's advertising is, let's just say, dubious at best. So, for example, I provide my blood uh, detective line of supplements. I do not sell them to anyone other than my patients. Uh, I do that because I got frustrated because when the When the study was done three or four years ago by the New York State Attorney General's office where they looked at something like the top 50 nutrients in stores and found that not a single one of them had the ingredients that the bottle said, I said, this is bad. I had still been making my own supplements at that point, but uh, I expanded my line to make supplements that are, if I could, make them cheaper and better. And in the circumstances where I could not, I know which companies have pharmaceutical grade nutrients of those things that I do not make. And I do not hesitate to recommend those supplements to my patients from whatever companies they get. Now, if a patient says to me, well, Dr. Walden, I don't know, you know, you're selling your supplements, you're making money off them, I'm gonna use others. I'm like, go right ahead. If it doesn't work, then please consider switching to mine. I prefer if they start with mine to begin with because I know my products. I've I've, I've created them. I've used them with thousands of patients over 30 years. Uh, But I always let the patient decide, of course, and then we take it from there. And then someone says to me recently, well, how does one know if they actually need vitamins if their diet is really good? Okay, well, that's a fair question. And the thing about that is this. For years and years, people have said to me, Dr. World, which is better, um, foods or vitamins? And you can hear my vitamin pill box in the background here, uh, which shows you my bias, that they're both important. Why do we need to say that one's better than the other just because foods are quote-unquote natural? 
one could argue that anything on the earth, including human beings that invent whatever they invent is natural, but philosophy aside, practically speaking, if you need a certain amount of magnesium to lower your blood pressure, it's not gonna happen by eating foods with magnesium. If you have a chronic iron anemia, and your anemia is severe, you can eat all the dark green leafy vegetables you want, which by the way is very poor iron absorbability, and eat tons of meat. Even with, even with the meat consumption, depending on how deficient you are, you might need an iron supplement. If you have bone loss, you might need bone meal uh, that you couldn't suck on enough bone marrow to get it. You need it in concentrated pills. If you need grams and grams of vitamin C for various reasons, like to kill cancer cells or viruses, then uh, you know a single glass of orange juice that's 60 milligrams when you need 6,000 grams, uh, 6,000 milligrams that is, is not gonna cut it. And the examples go on and on and on. So yes, I believe that we must have uh, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, various herbs and nutraceuticals beyond our diets. Um, there's just no sense uh, in my mind to claim that a perfect diet, which doesn't exist because perfection doesn't exist, could somehow provide us with all that we need. Uh, there are probably exceptions to that rule, like there are for all rules, but um, my 30 years uh, of this has shown me that we need a combination of both, particularly if we want to kick our health uh, to the next level. So the other question I have here, are all vitamins of the same quality? Well, of course not. Uh, we have some vitamins that are of poor quality. Uh, many companies will use cheaper versions of, let's say, B vitamins, cheaper versions of um, amino acids, and uh, the average individual wouldn't know the difference. So uh, it's important to work with a well-trained a clinical nutritionist, preferably one that has license to do blood work. And I say has license to do it. There's some nutritionists that are doing lab work that they should not be and the nutrition companies because they wanna make money are allowing this to happen. I would say in my estimation, that's probably at least an eighth, if not a third of the entire field of natural practitioners Meaning well is not okay. You have to know what you're doing. Not you, know, you can't just think you know what you're doing. You need to have the training. So we have a lot of unnecessary testing, a lot of wasteful genetic testing being done as well. Uh, so there's a lot more to say on that, of course. So here's another question I received from one of you. Can vitamins help heal, reduce complications and side effects of medications and medical procedures? Well, we might as well add to that, you know, can vitamins help improve resiliency against viruses? And the answer is yes. Nutrition in the form of foods and supplementation used correctly can help reduce complications of medical procedures, could prevent the need for certain medical uh, procedures, certainly can reduce side effects of medications, enhance healing in the body. We know that this is all true when used correctly. Now, some basic things. If you want to improve your resiliency against viruses or uh, improve your immunity overall, you don't want to smoke. Some of you are laughing because the people who listen to PRN are not generally smokers. If you've been a smoker and you never took a real look at what nutritional and um, health issues might have happened, you might want to do that because uh, your immune system and other systems may have been permanently or at least uh, affected such that even if it was 20, 30 years ago that you smoked, you might have an increased chances of uh, poor immune response to viruses and other infections. Now, if you breathe the air, you're a smoker, including me. So that means you want a test of your urine called malonyldialdehyde. Malonyldialdehyde, or MDA, is a urine test that is a test of oxidation, which is inflammation. If you're taking the right antioxidants, you want to have none of this stuff or hardly any of it in your urine. That's how you know that you've mitigated some of the oxidizing, deleterious effects of smoking and breathing upon your body, thus improving your resiliency. 
in general, you certainly want to eat a diet high in fruits and vegetables, you know, minus those fruits and vegetables that you don't like or that you're allergic to. But I always would advise adding a superfood. I use my detox one, two, three, and four formulas, which are powdered, very nice tasting, super high standardized concentrates of fruits and vegetables. The different colors of these products represent the specific uh, herbs, fruits, and vegetables. They're all for the body overall, and I believe that each of them with the different colors has more or less of an effect on other body tissues based on the ingredients which have been studied to help different things. But overall, I put every one of my patients um, on detox one, two, three, and four at a full scoop each, all mixed together in a drink to taste. And when you have that, even one per day, you are increasing your nutritional content from a fruit and vegetable standpoint to dozens upon dozens and dozens and dozens, over 70 fruit and vegetable equivalents. And don't worry, this stuff does not move your blood sugar much at all, if it does. Uh, and fruits are healthier than not, so you want to have them. Uh, and of course, you diabetics out there, talk to your doctors, but we know that diabetics manage fruits just fine. Um, this some exceptions. That's a whole other conversation. We're talking about the person who doesn't have diabetes and uh, you want to have more fruits and vegetables or con and or concentrates of them, which go well beyond what you can eat by consuming these sorts of superfoods like my Detox 1 through 4 products. If you email me at info at blooddetective.com and you mention the show, uh, I can send you more information on those Detox products and I will... Um, allow you to purchase those if you want to, but only listeners of the show. You want to exercise regularly, but if your nutrition is poor and you exercise regularly, the exercise actually costs you nutrition and can wear your immune system down. But if your nutrition is optimized based on the proper testing and conversation to figure that out, then exercise, generally speaking, improves immunity and resiliency. It doesn't matter the exercise really, but uh, that would depend, of course, upon your overall exercise needs. If you need to lose weight, it should be aerobic exercise. It shouldn't just be weight training, for example. And the timing and the type of exercise and the intensity needs to be figured out for each person. And you want to maintain a healthy weight. But not just a healthy weight, you want to maintain a healthy body composition, right, folks? You know all about that. So as far as the body composition, I'm referring to the percentage of your body of muscle, water, and fat, and making sure that you have the right lean body mass, not just some number you look up on the web for your age. That's not what does it. So it has to be your percentage of muscle, water, and fat, and based on that, that tells me how many grams of protein, carbs, and fats the person needs per day, we always want to be improving the lean mass. The better your lean mass, the stronger your immune system. Okay? Then if you drink alcohol at all, drink it in extremely low amounts. They say drink in moderation, but I don't know what that means, quite honestly. So that's like uh, eating a balanced diet or when your doctor says to you, watch your diet. They're meaningless statements, <laughs> okay? Um, alcohol is bad. I mean, there's no amount of alcohol in a woman that does not increase breast cancer risk. That's right. There is no amount of alcohol in a woman that does not increase breast cancer risk. Alcohol is a toxin. It's a toxin to the liver. If you drink alcohol, well, then you need to take special nutrition to help protect your liver, like N-acetylcysteine and methionine and inositol and choline and lipoic acid and milk thistle and vitamin C. Those are the basic things. And then based on your genetics, your chemistry, your meds and other considerations, you might need different ways in which to, to enhance the resiliency of your liver. Because the liver also is part of the immune system. And if it's weak, then it'll weaken a lot of systems. So your susceptibility to various viruses uh, will be uh, you know, quite increased. And then there is sleep. I don't know how to emphasize how important proper sleep is. 
regular sleep, what they call regular sleep hygiene, going to bed at the same time every night. If you have problems sleeping, don't mull around in your bed for more than about 20 minutes before you get out of your bed and into a chair in another room, maybe listening to music that's calming, that does not have any words to it, so that doesn't activate the wakeful part of your brain, but it's just a melody. You don't want to be reading a book that's going to excite you one way or another. I probably should do a show about sleep hygiene, but suffice it to say now that proper sleep is, sleep is where, when you heal. If you're not sleeping, you're not healing. Okay? Uh, problems with sleep, I, I suppose I could mention a few. Sometimes uh, the nutrient GABA, gamma amino butyric acid is extremely good for sleep. It's very good for depression, anxiety, and pain. So taking about two to 500 milligrams of GABA, uh, which I make as well, about 30 minutes before bed uh, could really help you sleep. And if that dose doesn't work after about three or four days, you double that dose until you find the dose that does work up to 1,500 milligrams this is as high as you go. It's a very safe nutrient, and you will find the dose that causes drowsiness. Or you can try melatonin, but as most of you are doing right now, shaking your head saying it doesn't work. You're right. It doesn't work for people unless they're melatonin deficient. So, uh, but melatonin has other health benefits for other uh, you know, problems as well. And washing your hands frequently. I said I wouldn't mention this, but I can't help but mention it again. With the myriad of infections that we're exposed to these days, it's critical that we are washing our hands constantly. We're, we avoid touching our face. We avoid sick people. When we sneeze, we sneeze into our arm. Uh, when other people sneeze, they may not do that. Just walk in the opposite direction of where they sneeze a good 20 feet. I mean, this is a serious problem we're having with coronavirus. A few other things that can help you beat viruses is drinking enough water. Um, you're thinking, what type of water? We don't know. There's all sorts of thinking out there about some water is better than others. Just stay hydrated. We know that hydration or dehydration of even a percentage can seriously impact your immune system. And then people say, well, uh, have some chicken soup. Well, why would you be doing that? Well, chicken soup may have had some of the bone in it, and in the bone there were stem cells. Uh, they're probably cooked and dead and probably won't do you any good whatsoever, but people believe in that, so they're sucking on bone marrow now and using it for everything. Uh, yeah, I just think it's quackery, actually. Um, you want to get, uh, you probably want to take a zinc supplement, uh, no more than 25 milligrams, unless you actually are deficient or overweight, then about 50 milligrams of zinc picolinate. Um, do not do a lozenge like you'll read online or wherever. The lozenges are usually zinc gluconate, and they're only good for topical stuff like sore throats. They have no systemic effect, the gluconate, whatsoever. What I would like to see uh, is that a person takes their zinc and then their white blood cell motion under a microscope starts to speed up, which means that you're on the right dose of zinc to improve your immune resiliency as much as you can. And then if you have you know, aches and pains from viruses, you wanna take something for those symptoms, but also something that's actually antiviral. So you wanna take about a gram, a thousand milligrams of N-acetylcysteine. And by the way, once again, I have to give a disclaimer. I'm not telling you to do these things, folks. You want to do these things possibly, but with the help of, the help of a trained uh, clinical nutritionist and or doctor. So this is for your education and information only. So N-acetylcysteine at about 1,000 milligrams or one gram is strongly antiviral. It's detoxifying. It's a great metal detoxifier as well. And uh, that's one very, very important thing. And, and oh, I should mention also that N-acetylcysteine increases glutathione in the body, which is one of the most important tripeptide immune proteins in mammals. Um, that's also good for mucus. It breaks up mucus. It's a mucolytic agent. It's so effective in breaking up mucus, it's used as a standard treatment for cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic condition where a person doesn't break down the mucus and they 
Uh, it accumulates in the lungs and they develop infections like pseudomonas and others that kill them prematurely. But the use of N-acetylcysteine in the form of the drug called mucomist extends life significantly, sometimes decades. And also turmeric. Turmeric plus the black pepper fruit in the form of biopterine, very strong uh, of an anti-infectious agent and anti-inflammatory, great for aches and pains. Then people ask me, well, Dr. Will, what do you think about using honey to, to soothe a, a cough or sore throat? Most people tell me it works. So sure, go right ahead and do that. Just don't drink a bucket of it because then the blood sugar will be too high. Let me, let me say a few more words about um, good hygiene. Uh, but once again, I'm just going to uh, say hello to everyone who is new to the show. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detectives. I want to know what kind of topics you want to hear because here you're going to hear the truth about these things. We're not going to, I'm not going to pretend that everything natural is perfect for you, but I will let you know what works, how to figure it out yourself so you don't have to take anyone else's word for it. And you can become a critical thinking blood detective on your own so that you make better healthcare choices. You can reach me if you want to schedule an appointment with me either in person or at a distance, you can call 914-552-1442. And you can look at the website and look up free content at intmedny.com. And my email is info at blooddetective.com. So let's talk about good hygiene. The first line of defense for good hygiene is to keep germs at bay by following good personal hygiene habits. You need to be mindful of this very, very common sense thing. Stop infections before they begin and avoid spreading it to others with a couple of easy things you can do. One or two I've mentioned already, but I'm going to reiterate it. You want to wash your hands with soap and water before preparing food and after using the bathroom especially. You want to cover your mouth and your nose with a tissue or in your armpit uh, or in your elbow area when you sneeze or cough or cough into that elbow, but not in your hand. I mean, if you actually watch people throughout the day and they're coughing and what they touch and they're not even aware of things, it's so disgusting. I should make a video on it. <laughs> um, you want to wash and uh, bandage all cuts. Any serious cut or, or animal or, or human bite even, uh, could be uh, and should be examined uh, by a doctor. Do not pick at healing wounds or blemishes or squeeze pimples. Doing so allows germs to enter there. Now, I wanna talk about food safety and food poisoning because we're exposed to bad bugs when we eat all the time that mess with our immune resiliency and then they can uh, undermine all these smart nutritional efforts that we have been trying to do, what we've been talking about. So although most cases of food poisoning are not life-threatening, most people don't even know sometimes that they've been exposed to bad bugs, a few though, a few infections might lead to serious uh, medical conditions. It, it, it can even cause kidney failure, even meningitis. So you can prevent most cases of of food poisoning in your home by preparing and storing your foods safely. So let me give you a couple of precautions that will help kill germs that are present in the food and uh, the food that you buy and help you avoid introducing new bugs um, into your food at home. Because again, if this is happening and then you're exposed to another bug, think of it this way, folks. It's like the last straw that broke the camel's back. You know, so that's why, you know, you shouldn't be thinking, well, what does food safety have to do with like coronavirus? Everything that messes with your immune system is important. So that's why you don't want to have any more infections or any other stressors that are exposed to you from poor food handling. So you'll want to wash your hands with soap and water before and after you handle any raw food. You want to rinse all meat, poultry, and fish under running water before cooking. Rinse all food and all vegetables under running water before cooking or serving them to anyone. You wanna separate raw foods from cooked foods. Never use the same utensils or cutting boards when, for cooked meat that were used with raw meat. 
cook foods very thoroughly using a meat thermometer to ensure that poultry is cooked at about 180 degrees Fahrenheit, roasts and steaks to about 145 degrees Fahrenheit, and ground meats to about 160, yeah, that's right, 160 degrees Fahrenheit. You cook fish until it is opaque. And defrost foods only in the refrigerator or in a microwave. If you don't believe in microwaves, then don't use mic microwaving. So, who knows? So let me read you something here. It's just a paragraph or so from the Journal of Infectious Disease uh, entitled Host Nutritional Status and Its Effect on a Viral Pathogen. Okay? In other words, it's saying that your nutrition, or at least the nutrition of those studied in this study, uh, is affected in positive, both positive and negative ways, and therefore viral pathogens have a greater susceptibility of causing disease in individuals. And of course, as you might guess, it would cause disease in those individuals with the poorest nutrition. So here we go. The nutritional status of the host, that's you, has long been associated with both severity and susceptibility to infectious disease. Now, if we've known for so long that nutritional status can make us more susceptible to diseases, why don't physicians seem to know this and practice this? I can't tell you, folks. <laughs> they just don't. The accepted model, I'm reading again, the accepted model system proposes that inadequate nutrition impairs the functioning of the immune system, thus resulting in increased susceptibility to infection. So this is what this whole show is about, how optimal nutrition reduces your susceptibility by increasing your resiliency against infectious agents. See how you understood all of those big words now after the show? I love how smart people on PRN are. It's just the truth. Okay, I'm going to continue to read. However, Current work suggests that not only can the nutritional status of the host affect the immune response, but it can affect the viral pathogen. What? Okay, listen up. In a mouse model, a benign strain of Kosaki virus B3 became virulent. It became super bad and caused myocarditis, inflammation of the covering of the heart, in selenium and vitamin E deficient mice. This change in pathogenicity, they call it, was due to mutations in the viral genome, which changed an avirulent virus into a virulent one. Remember when I opened up the show and I said that poor nutritional status in your body, if you're exposed to a virus and you have poor nutrition, it will go, the virus from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, it will transform. And specifically, this article is saying that deficient mice in selenium and vitamin E will create an environment in that mouse, that host like you, that allows the virus to become tougher, to wake up and to do damage. And the deficiencies affect the viral genome. In other words, it changes the genetics of the virus to make it meaner. Let me read a little bit more. And I'm gonna actually repeat that sentence. So it says here, in a mouse model, a benign strain of the Kosaki virus B3 became virulent, tough, and caused myocarditis, that's heart disease, in selenium and vitamin E deficient mouse, or mice. This change in pathogenicity was due to mutations in the viral genome, which were caused by the deficiencies, everyone, which changed a, an avirulent virus, one that's not harmful, into a virulent one that is harmful. That's what virulence means. Once these mutations occurred, even mice with normal nutrition developed disease from the mutated virus. So, Prevention, prevention, prevention. You need to fix your nutrition now because if you get infected and then try, it may not work. That's so key, I cannot overemphasize it. This, uh, let me read again. These results suggest that the oxidant stress status of the host, that's you, can have a profound influence on a viral pathogen. 
Well, once again, I mentioned earlier in the show a urinary test that measures oxidative stress called malonyldialdehyde, or MDA. The more oxidative stress you have, the more your body will take a virus that may not be so harmful that you might have handled otherwise and turns it into a Mr. Hyde, from a Dr. Jekyll to a Mr. Hyde from oxidative stress. And oxidative stress will increase, as we all know, when a person is deficient in not just selenium and vitamin E that this study showed, but any number of phytonutrients, vitamin C, N-acetylcysteine, glutathione, turmeric, and other things. But I would encourage you not to pay um, an in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A disproportionate amount of attention to, let's say, uh, oxidative stress. We want to handle oxidative stress. We need to manage pH. We need to manage lactic acid and nitric oxide. We need to make sure that our red blood cells are the normal size. Otherwise, they're larger, which could mean deficiencies of folic acid, B6, B12, vitamin C, E, and B1, and the list goes on and on. What I'd like to mention in closing is going back to the vitamin E and selenium. The starting dose for selenium is about 25 micrograms, folks. That's MCGs. And depending on your testing, it might be higher. But don't try to take more than that because selenium can be toxic. And when it comes to vitamin E, do not take vitamin E if you're on blood thinners or don't take any extra nutrition and probably you should stop all of your nutritional supplements if you have any surgical procedures by about five days before and do not begin them again until around five days after, but you wanna consult with your doctor about that. Just a little precaution. And as far as the amount and type of vitamin E, it should be the alpha uh, tocopherols where you have the all the different types of tocopherols and different forms of vitamin E because when taken together, they've been shown to be far better than just taking one form of vitamin E. The amount of vitamin E you need is probably around the standard dose, 400 IUs or international units. If you take more vitamin E than that, let's say like 1,000, you'll actually decrease your immune system, and that's been studied, and that's why I don't give more than 400 to my multiple sclerosis patients. Actually, let me, let me miss, I misstated that. In multiple sclerosis, where there's hyperimmunity, you wanna decrease it, so I would give vitamin E at about 1,000 IUs. But if I wanna increase immunity in a person who's vitamin E deficient, I will give them up to 400 units. Uh, there are vitamin E tests, but I prefer to use oxidative stress measurements in the urine. And if they're high, you give vitamin E until the oxidative stress comes down, and then you know you've got the right amount there. So that's a lot of information, folks. I get it. Um, I would encourage you to listen to the show again because this information is rare to get and extremely important with the, uh, the, the viral environment that... Um, we're dealing with now worldwide, it's going to get worse. I predict it will be a new virus. It will be affecting large numbers of people in the United States as well. It's really just a matter of time. So once again, my name is Dr. Michael Walger, listening to Ask the Blood Detective. You can contact me for radio show ideas at 914-552-1442. Please uh, email me at info at blooddetective.com. Visit my website, look at all the free content, make your comments on the blog section so everyone can see them once I respond to you at www.intmedny.com. Thanks, everyone. Take care. See you next time. Too late.